0: Everybody. Um, we're going to begin a three-part series in the book of Obadiah. You might not have read that lately, but it's an incredible book. So I'm going to let you try to find that. Uh, if you get to Amos, you just take a right and you'll be there. If you're not careful, you'll be in Jonah. So just take a, take a quick trip or just cheat and look at the index and you'll be fine. Table Contents will get you there. But it's a fascinating book because it brings up Uh, something that's kind of important. And really it brings up the feud that would never end. It was a feud that just wouldn't end. The Edomites were uh, offshoots of Esau, if you will, and uh, Jacob and Esau, you know their conflict, but it was a feud that wouldn't end. And Esau, when he found out that uh, Jacob marrying in his own family, if you will, pleased uh, his father, uh, Isaac. Uh, he deliberately married out of the clan, if you will, out of the will of God, out of the will of the father. And a feud begin, begins. And uh, although this isn't exactly germane to uh, the text, you know, you don't get everything you want in life. And some people get more advantages than you do. And some in your own family might get more inheritance than you. do. I don't know. You have a choice about how you respond, and he didn't respond very well. And he created a feud that wouldn't end. Now, while you're finding that, let me just uh, remind our deacons that uh, right after the service tonight, uh, you need to meet with the pastor in room 2117, 2117, uh, if you'll do that. And continue to pray for uh, Earl and Anita Lester. I, they're out at the gathering now, but they were here for so long. And uh, Earl's mother passed away, Miss Uh, Miss Lester passed away, had her funeral this afternoon. So just remember them, they're going back to Augusta, Georgia to bury her, and I just want you to be aware of that. If you happen to be visiting tonight, uh, my name is Gene Mims. I'm not the pastor. The pastor's sitting over here, and uh, you'll get to know him uh, as my son, or, you know, he will refer to me as his father. But that's the way this works right now. So in Obadiah, we come to the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's a very short book. It only has 21 verses. And I don't want to read all the verses tonight because I can can give you the gist of what's going on here. But why would we study a book like this? Why wouldn't we just ignore it? Why wouldn't we just go beyond it? Well, I think what it does is is sort of pulls us up historically to see in a widest view of what God's doing in the world. Because if you look at the news or you read the paper, you get on the internet, and you try to find out what's going on in the world, what you basically get is confusion and chaos. There's always a war. There's always some crooked leader. There's always, uh, you know, some violent act that's being uh, happening or whatever. And I think we say as believers, why, why is it like this? And what's God doing about this? Is there anything that I can hold on to in these uncertain and turbulent times? And this book reminds us of how active God is in this world. And, uh, but it also reminds us that uh, you, you can't continually come against God's people without retribution, vengeance. And God has said uh, to the church and to the nation of Israel, I don't want you to avenge my name. I'll do that. You be faithful to me. We'll get into that in just a moment. But I, I control this world. And I'll take vengeance uh, upon these nations that hurt Uh, my people. Sometimes we feel like uh, the writer uh, says in the Old Testament, Paul quotes in the New Testament, he said, we're like sheep that are led to slaughter. It looks like like we don't have any power. It looks like we don't have any recourse for all the evil that's going on in the world. And that we see it even in our Savior, who was a lamb lamb led to slaughter and uh, didn't take uh, reprisals that he could have taken. And we have to ask ourselves, why such suffering uh, is God allowing that? Is God doing anything? Does he care? Is, uh, you know, is anything happening in this world? Well, the book of Obadiah in a microcosm uh, really explains that. If you read the book of Amos, you'll see these prophecies that surround uh, Israel and Judah and all these nations, God saying, I'm against you because you were against my people. And there's prophecy after prophecy, including Edom. Now, let me give you a little historical or geographical help here. Edom is right at the bottom of the Dead Sea. And so uh, it it bordered what we would call the Negev. And you say, well, that's really nice, Gene. Well, no, it's very important because God gave that land uh, to Edom. He let them have that. But at the same time, he gave Israel, the nation of Israel, the Negev, the south part, all the way down to Egypt. And so there was continual border battles, if you will, and uh, we, we, we know that. So it comes from Esau and Jacob. And then if you'll remember, in the Exodus, uh, Moses and the children of Israel wanted to go through Edom on their way to the promised land, and the Edomites wouldn't let them do it. They said, look, we won't take any of your cattle. We won't eat any food. We'll pay for whatever damages and whatever we use, but uh, that's just kind of the way it is, and uh, we, we won't hurt you at all. And they said, no, forget it. And way back in Deuteronomy, the Lord said, look, Edom is your brother. Don't you ever do anything against Edom. They're your brothers. And and understand that, know that. And this is the way I I believe that. But when they wouldn't do that, they just festered this feud uh, that was going on. You find that in the book of Numbers. And then David fought the Edomites. And Solomon fought the Edomites. It was just always these skirmishes and these things going on. Now, if you go to where uh, Edom is today, we call that place Petra. It's one of the great uh, visitation, visiting spots on Holy Land tours because it has Old Testament significant significance. But uh, it's in rocky areas. It's a desolate area. But they thought, well, we're in the mountains. We're in these fortified uh, caves and whatever, and nobody can get to us. And they had a measure of wisdom. They were known for their wisdom and their learning and all of these kind of things. And that comes right into play with what God's saying uh, as He uh, talks about this. And worse than that, when the when the Chaldeans or the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar came and overtook Judah in uh, 586 BC, the Edomites helped them. They literally helped their brothers in their demise. Uh, they took loot, they looted in Jerusalem. They, they joined in in the destruction of God's people. And God says, no, 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 you, you can't get away with this. Uh, that's not going to work. It's not going to work like that. And it's important to, re, uh, to remember that. And then they moved into the territory that God had given uh, Israel. So that's kind of the backdrop. So let me just read some of these verses tonight and, uh, and then we'll make some applications. But I think, I think you'll be intrigued with some of the applications. And really, it's the doom of Edom, Edom, the Edomites. Thus says the Lord God, this is the vision of Obadiah, concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord. An envoy has been sent among the nations saying, Arise and let us go against her for battle. In other words, let's go against Edom. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts the rock of the rock and the loftiness of your dwelling place who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. Would they not only steal until they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked and his treasures searched out. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border, and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There's no understanding in him. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, despise the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Teman, that's the capital of Edom, so that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. And then he tells them why. Because of the violence you did to Jacob, but that's for another time. And so here it is. But I want you to notice a number of things to get the background of this, and you'll, you'll you'll be encouraged by the time we're through tonight. First of all, he says this vision of Obadiah says we've heard a report in verse one, a report from the Lord, an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying. Now that might be a literal statement, not just a vision, but he might have actually heard an envoy. As a matter of fact, there are, there are probably six or seven anti-Edom prophecies in the Old Testament. But the most stringent one, the one that, that bears down and sounds just like this book, is found in Ezekiel chapter 35. We don't have to turn there tonight, but he, he goes into some length about this everlasting conflict, this conflict that won't go away. And God says, you think in your pride and your arrogance, you think in the downfall of Israel that that's a good thing, but all it means is your downfall. Israel's going to remain, and nobody's going to fool with you anymore. I'm going to destroy you. And notice what he said. He said, you know, if thieves would come into your house, they'd only take, uh, they wouldn't take everything. They'd take some things and they'd leave. If, if thieves came into your vineyard, they'd pick some grapes, but they'd leave some grapes. But he says, when I send an army into you, there's going to be nothing left. In fact, in another prophecy, he says, you Edomites say, well, if God does destroy us, we'll just rebuild again. He said, it doesn't matter how many times you rebuild, I'm going to destroy you. Well, there are no Edomites today. Just remember that. There are no Edomites today. There's nobody living there that says we're in Timon, the capital. You know, we're on Mount Seir, this mountain range there. They're they're, they're gone. It's over. And that's something for us to consider, especially in light of the world situation. And this is an occasion for us to read the Bible globally, to read the Bible through the lens of the church and the eyes of God in heaven, to see what this means in these conflicts around the earth, and especially when we live in a nation that more and more, or less and less, I should say, has no tolerance for the gospel and no tolerance for those in the church. And so what he says in Ezekiel 35, he basically says, this everlasting enmity between you and my people is going to end, and I'm going to end it, God says. Israel's going to remain. You're going to be gone. He said, here's why. You delivered your brother to Babylon. Babylon. Instead of fighting for them, instead of pulling for them, instead of supporting them in this kingdom effort, according to my purposes and will, you stood by while they were ruined. I was chastising them. They deserved that. But they didn't deserve what you did to them. And for that, I'm going to. He said, bloodshed is going to be brought upon you. This is what Ezekiel is saying. And he says, Mount Seir, this mountain, which would be sort of akin to uh, Mount Carmel in in Israel, or, you know, like lookout mountains, a long range. It's not just one little mountain. And he said, it's going to be desolate. Mount Seir, you, you have so much pride in that, that nobody can get to you, but nobody's going to live there anymore. And then he says, because I am an avenging God, I'm avenging my people I'm avenging my purposes. I'm avenging the fact that you have turned away from me and you've showed your rebellion by destroying the people that I want to use to bring redemption in this world. Wow. So how do we think about that so we read this that's a nice history lesson or whatever well several things come out of this that i want us to think about and hold in our hearts and especially as we unfold these passages in the next two weeks first of all we we want to remember the sovereignty of god not just in salvation but over this world this is god's world and he's concerned about everything in his world his people his purposes This is his world, and his his purposes are going to be fulfilled. Now, there are occasions when he chastises the people of God. He'll chastise an individual. He'll chastise a a church. He'll chastise a nation to correct them so that they come back in line with with his purposes. But that doesn't give the right of other nations to do well. If you'll remember the prophecy of Habakkuk, Habakkuk prayed and said, God, you know, we're, we're a terrible people. We're awful. And God said, I've heard your prayer, and I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to send the Chaldeans in, and they're going to straighten this out. They're going to take you in captivity. And the prophet was offended by that. He was astounded by that. And he said, God, they're worse than we are. And God said, I'll take care of them in due time. I'm using them to chastise you. And he did that indeed. But Israel was reborn. The, 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 the remnant came back to life and, and moved back into the land and all these kind of things. You, you stand against the people of God and you put yourself in danger, not from the people of God, but from the God of the people. That's the sovereignty of God over all this earth. It's easy for us to not read our Bibles more than we listen to these discordant voices and these pundits And these people trying to predict the economic things and political things and all kind of stuff that's going on, they don't know. But God knows, and these answers are right in the Word of God. And we need to go to the Word of God and be assured of the sovereignty of God. Now, the sovereignty of God is not just something that's sacrosanct in salvation. The sovereignty of God is about everything in nature Everything under nature, everything on this world, every economic system, every, every political system, God is ruling all of that. And no matter what it looks like to us and it's chaos, bringing all things to bear in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Colossians chapter one, bringing, summing all things up in Christ Jesus. And we know what happens then. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, it doesn't look like it. Well, we're not God. I tell you what he's not doing. He's not biting his fingernails tonight and worrying about you and me not being successful or not fulfilling his promises. He's not in heaven saying, I wish they'd get up and do something. He's moving history right along according to its course. And at the right time, Jesus Christ comes back, not as a sacrificial lamb, but as a line of Judah to take over once and for all. And he's saying this. He's saying, you are standing against my purposes as a nation and you will not survive. What else does it say? It talks about he rules not over the world, but just nations itself. Can you imagine if we could go back in history, let's say to the time of the Tower of Babel when people couldn't talk to each other for the first time and nations began to form and tribes and peoples and whatever else. Can you imagine how many nations have arisen and fallen? You ever thought about that? Can you imagine how many nations have arisen and fallen? Well, let's just count the nations that have arisen and fallen in the 21st century or or the latter part of the 20th century. Hundreds of nations have arisen and fallen. Why, you know, 30 years ago, we didn't have Belarus. 30 years ago, we didn't have nations in the former Soviet bloc. They were just absorbed and swallowed up and they were... Uh, just like states and whatever. And then some nations have been broken apart. The communistic nations of this world, save for Cuba and a few places that are left in the world, gone. They're gone. They came to the end of themselves and the controlling, ruling hand of God was behind it all. You can't say there is no God and get away with it. It doesn't work like that. You can't say Uh, teach people to believe that there is no God or to follow follow a secular path and just get away with that as you destroy people. What did God say about that? If you do that for a child, it's like a millstone around your neck when you're thrown into the water. You're not going to survive that because God rules the nations. That's a very important thing for us to remember. In ruling the nations, he controls history. Day by day and moment by moment. I can't see it. I, 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 I don't see it. I, I can confess it without seeing it. I can believe it without knowing it. But I can't believe it and confess it unless I go to the Word of God and dig it out and let the Word create faith in my life that gives me understanding and assurance and hope. And that does a number of things when that happens. God is doing all of this for his redemptive purposes. He's opening up hearts so that the gospel can be planted. That's why we do missions. That's why our folks are going to Western Heights tomorrow. That's why we support missions all around the world. We do it, it doesn't matter what the opposition is. That's not the point. The point is our God has said, go. And we go with the gospel because hearts are ready here and around the world. He controls history and in his redemptive purposes, he's using his people. Now it's the church using us to fulfill those purposes and take the gospel everywhere. He protects us. He protects us from those who would ruin us. If we are ruined in this day and time, it's not going to be God's fault, and it's not going to be the power of those who would stand against us. It would be the lack of faith and determination and application of the word of God among the believers who are true believers who just sit back and let it happen. You don't have to let anything happen. When the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter, and the physician Luke, and the preacher Timothy were starting out in the first century, they had no political standing. They had no reason to believe they could be successful. They had the philosophy of the Greeks against them and the Government of Rome against them. They had every social moray against them. People thought they were crazy and uh, saying to people that they were uh, sacrificing children and drinking blood and all these kind of things like that. They had nothing to believe in except the go of the Great Commission and believing that God would control history. And when they look back, they could look back to the prophecy of Daniel. And see how in that great uh, uh, statue that Daniel saw, that great statue of different materials, made of different materials, how first of all the Babylonians came and fell. And then the the Persians came and fell. And then the Greeks came and fell. And then the Romans came and fell. And it was fell by a stone, it says in Scripture, not made with hands. That's the Jesus of the New Testament who crushed it all in the power of God and in the will of God. You can't stand against God's purposes without getting rolled over. He avenges the church too. There'll be 250,000 or more Christians slaughtered this year. Not because they're criminals, but because they're Christians. You read in the book of Revelation, it said the martyrs who are robed in white are crying out in a prayer in the presence of Christ. How long, O oh Lord? Let me read a passage of Scripture from the great book of Isaiah. I used to read this and not really understand it very well, but uh, what, a, what a passage of Scripture it is. In Isaiah chapter 63, it talks about how God comes from Edom. Listen to this. This is the Messiah. This is a prophecy of the future. Who is this that comes from Edom? With garments of glowing colors from Basra, The one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. Who is this guy? Why is your apparel red? And why are your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? And then there's the answer to the question. Here's the Messiah speaking. I have trodden the winepress trough alone and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments. This is the, this is the Messiah saying, I, t- I took care of Edom. This is the prophet looking way into the future when Edom is going to be destroyed. For the day of vengeance was on my heart and my year of redemption has come. I looked and there was no one to help me. And I was astonished that there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on earth. And he's essentially saying, I didn't need any help. I looked around, nobody had helped me. I didn't need it. I, the Messiah, took vengeance upon those people who were against my purposes and my people in this world. God does chastise us. There's no doubt about that. I often think about it when a preacher falls or is caught in some sin. Oh, how people laugh at that and how they love that and love to talk about those kinds of things. Or when a church divides and how sad it is for us, it breaks our heart. But those who are not of the faith laugh and ridicule. And When they find a Christian in some hypocritical endeavor or whatever, they laugh at that. They need to quit laughing. Number one, God doesn't think that's funny. And he doesn't appreciate people who are unbelievers piling on. He controls history. He avenges his people, the church. What's our response? Okay, that's fine. That's really nice. But what's our response? Several, uh, several things we need to know. First of all, we need to know the word of God globally. We need to, re- we need to re- read the word of God, not only in the past and the present, but certainly in the future. Some, some of those passages I know are a little hard to understand. You can get over Revelation. You can kind of get twisted up a little bit. It's not, as, not nearly as uh, difficult as you think, but when you read the prophecies in the Old Testament, and you need to read it globally that God's a God of this world. That's not, I'm just saying that. God's working in this world. God's working in Africa tonight. I was just talking with David Nems. And he was telling me they've surpassed the 50,000 mark in churches that they've started. And he said, we really can't start churches fast enough in the northern portions of Africa where the Muslims are the strongest. God's at work around the world. He's working in Latin America. He's working in China. He's working in the hearts of people that you'll see tomorrow. No matter what they may say or how they may act, it's the Holy Spirit. Unless God's a liar, the Holy Spirit in John 16 says it's convicting the world of its sin and unrighteousness. Convicting the world of the coming judgment. It's not our job to condemn anybody and judge anybody. We have to do that. What we have to do is take the light of the gospel and the power of the gospel with us to those people who are ready. We need to know the word of God globally and believe that God is at work globally. We need faith in his promises. I'll never leave you or forsake you. The promise of the Holy Spirit the promise of power to do more than he did on this earth. We need to believe that and enjoy that and claim that. Whether I see it or not, I may may be the one going through the worst of times. I may can barely put one foot in front of the other, but will you see it if I can't? Will you believe the the God of the Bible and the promises that he's made when he said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you. It's a commission. Let's go together. Let's believe that together we need to obey his commands God told us to go he didn't tell us to shrink back as you go find some person that needs the gospel as you go encourage somebody along the way as you go shine the light of the gospel into some person's life and go with a purpose I think the church and maybe our church if we're not careful has taken a step back in fear and says we can't do anything about Nashville we can't do anything about this world. We're powerless to do anything. Where's your God to believe in? Where are the commands of scripture that gives us strength and faith? Instead of acting on our feelings and living by what we don't understand, let's trust in the God who understands it all and to believe him for what he says. Be patient in tribulation. Be patient in these times. We need to be patient. It took Years, sometimes hundreds of years for God to straighten out Israel and judge Edom and destroy the Ammonites and all those people that were destroyed and beat back the enemies of of God and God's people. Be patient in the tribulation. Don't give up. Don't act like this isn't working. I think too many Christians aren't patient. I don't think they believe the Bible because they don't know the Bible. And if that's you, shame on you and me. Let's go to the Word of God like Obadiah. And realize that God moves against them. This is historically verifiable prophecy. So what he did in the past, don't you imagine he'll do in the future when he prophesies, prophesies these things. Let's live in holiness. You see, we can't solve the problem if we are the problem. And once again, I think the church is coming under the uh, the guise of this uh, Let's be relatable to our world. Let's not follow holiness. There's no really such thing as a standard. We are free. We're not free to destroy ourselves. Here's the freedom that you and I have. We are free to be holy. We are free to do God's will. We are empowered and free to be what God would have us to be. Avoid the chastisement. Be the answer and not the problem. As you trust the Lord, trust him for the holiness that he brings into our lives. Let's look for where he's working, not only around us, but in the nations. And let's celebrate that when we see it. Whether a soul is saved in our church or a soul is saved in another church or the people of God rise up somewhere where we can't even speak their language. Let's look for that and praise God for it. Let's be in tune with that. We'll have global focus here. In about a month, we'll bring people to remind us that God is at work everywhere. Let's remember that as we bring them in and let's celebrate with them what they're doing and where they are so that we can be a part of what God is doing. God's working in this world. The question I have to ask myself, is he working around me? Is he working through me to achieve his purposes in this world? Or am I walking in the way of holiness? Am I walking in the path of faith? Or do I just take a step back? And then if you really believe that God is at work in this world, can you give too much of your life and your resources? Seriously. Any reason you'd want to hold back a resource in this world that has no value in the next world? But I tell you, our tithes, And our offerings and our sacrificial giving is just a response to God to say, we believe that you control this world. We believe in funding the work of the nations. We believe in reaching our city and our neighborhoods and then engage this world, not to be afraid of it. I have to confess, I I don't like it particularly. I don't like to get around people who don't share my viewpoint, don't have a heart for God. I don't enjoy that. I really don't. I'm just being honest with you tonight. I'd rather be with you. I'd rather sit around and, and have a fellowship right here at Judson Baptist Church. But God wants us to engage people wherever we can. Wherever we can. To engage people. Not to be afraid, but let our faith in god render us not useless but useful in what he wants to do in another person's life and go without fear not being afraid of anything god's not given us a spirit of fear he's not given us a spirit of confusion he's given us power and love and discipline but what he's really given us through his great sovereign power is the opportunity in this generation to reach every person in this earth with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there a larger enterprise? There's not a company in the world that's bigger than that. There's not a nation more important than that. There's not anything in this earth that matches the majesty of the Great Commission, knowing that there is a God who is sovereign Controls the nation and has nations and has invited us to be a part of that. I don't know about you, but that stirs my heart. When I read Obadiah, I think, thank you, God, that you work. And you do what you say. You avenge us while at the same time giving us opportunity to take the gospels to the nations before it's too late for them. Giving, going, believing, living, all apart. Of joining God in this great redemptive enterprise now we'll read other things in this book we'll read about this retribution that God takes out on the Edomites and we'll read about the restoration of God's people that he brings to bear and maybe how to pray about that so that God restores to us what we've been losing or what we've lost there are many other things and then we'll look at the day of the Lord where God finally says enough is enough to this world And brings his kingdom to bear that we get to share in. It's a good book. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we're encouraged tonight. We're not discouraged a bit. We're encouraged and strengthened by what you teach in your word. Lord, long ago the Edomites had a chance, they had an opportunity, and they turned their back on you by turning their back on your people. Father, before you take vengeance on this earth against those who would stand against your people and your purposes, Would you give us more time to take the gospel to the world? Would you give us more time to reach our neighbors and our family members? Would you just give us the opportunity? We don't don't know what their response will be. Only you know that. But would you give us the opportunity to reach out to those people that, that Holy Spirit, you are convicting in this world and give us the faith and the optimism tonight that there is a God who is at work and nothing can stop his purposes. Lord Jesus, before you come back, would you give us the opportunity to fulfill your will in the Great Commission here and around the world? Would you let us join others of the same faith and heart so that one day we we get to see it with joy in our hearts where every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is is Lord. Lord Jesus, you are the Lord. We confess that tonight. God, you are sovereign. We confess that tonight. Holy Spirit, you are our indwelling, controlling presence of Christ in our life, lives. Would you tonight fill us and control us, casting fear aside and giving us the power of faith to go and do what God is doing and to join God in his work in this world. We pray this, we beg for this in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Let's